Well, good morning. I tell you, our music every week, isn't that a blessing? That was a blessing this morning. Thank you, Jonathan, to the choir, to our instrumentalists, to some guys that don't really ever get recognition, our guys in the sound booth. We appreciate you guys. You know, a lot of times, the only time you ever get noticed when a mic's not on or something squelches. Wait. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say thank you ever again. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we appreciate you guys too. You guys don't get noticed very often, so thank you. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, a classic Old Testament prophecy passage about the coming Messiah. Amen. Now, while you're turning, let me just take care of a couple of house uh, uh, items, in-house items. First of all, we've heard some of the stats, but thank you to all of you who adjusted your Thanksgiving Day uh, to be here and to reach out to the greater Cabarrus County area, to the needy. Uh, One thing that was not mentioned is that with each of those 108 stops, we took a gospel track, left it in that home. Those families went out and prayed with those families as they delivered those meals. There was an impact across our county by what you guys did. And it says that the word of God will not return to us void, right? So to go out and hand out those tracts, hopefully those were read in those homes at Thanksgiving tables. We'll never know until eternity the effects of what you did on Thursday. So thank you for doing that. Also, don't forget, tomorrow night we're taking a group down to Operation Christmas Child, uh, an international mission opportunity right here uh, to go down there and to pack boxes which also carry the gospel. Uh, We'll leave here at 5 o'clock. There's a sign-up sheet. And be back here about 10.30. If you'd like to join us down there, we'll get there about 5.30. We'd love to have you come and work at the Processing Center. I tell you, it's great to be a part of a church that's involved in missions. Not just globally, internationally, but right here uh, at home in Concord. And so thank you for being a part of that. A couple of other matters. Uh, Yesterday, we had a funeral here for Ed Pepper. Uh, You may have known Ed as Shaker when they attended here, uh, Pepper. Uh, We need to be praying for that family. Um, There were people here. um, Ed had a lot to do with Cox Mill High School. The entire varsity boys basketball team came into the receiving of friends, uh, came down front. I mean, that's how much uh, Ed meant to the young people of those schools. I don't know that I've ever seen that many young people at a funeral for a person who was middle-aged or older. There were a lot of young people here, and uh, the gospel was presented People were listening, and we hope that decisions were made even yesterday. But please remember Tina and Luke and Nick and Morgan. Uh, I mean, Ed would have had a birthday this month. They're going to be face, they face Thanksgiving. They're, they've got their first Christmas coming up without him. And so remember uh, the Pepper family in your prayers. Also, Sergio Vasquez uh, went into the hospital uh, late Friday, uh, late Thursday, Friday morning. Uh, One of the hospitals at CMC Maine, Uh, they think he's had a brain aneurysm, Uh, and so they are trying to find out where that is. His blood pressure, his top number went over 240, that's how high his blood pressure was. He had a severe headache, and so they started checking on him. They've got everything, all of his levels uh, where they should be, have him resting, and tomorrow they'll do an angiogram where they go in and actually uh, look at, at his brain to find out where that aneurysm is. And they're hoping they can, like they would a heart catheterization, be able to put a stent or a coil in his brain just by doing that test. And so 
they're asking to please pray that that will happen tomorrow um, and they won't have to do further surgery. If they can't do that, they may have to do the major brain surgery for Sergio. So be in prayer for he and Edna and the girls uh, and remember them in your time of prayer. Christmas is here, and even if you don't want to admit it, the little kid in all of us begins to come out, doesn't it? Some more than others. My wife is a serious Christmas fanatic. I told her I was going to say something about it this morning. She went, you better not. The other night, I was sitting downstairs. It was about 9 o'clock, I think, and on the TV came her favorite Hallmark Christmas story. She was up like in another part of the house. And before I could say, hey, Sherry, she said, there's my favorite. I mean, she just heard the music and knew it was hers. And uh, I was going to tease her and change the channel, but she came down and we watched it together. I know I pick on her, but I watch them right along with her, and I enjoy them right along with her. And she's going, yeah, you do, buddy. But anyway, uh, Christmas fanatics. There's all the good food, the smell of cookies and Russian tea. You with me? Uh, all the lights and decorations, a warm fireplace, and a fresh-cut Christmas tree. We bought a fake one this year. Anyway, it's being together with special friends and family, right? Most of all, it's remembering what God has done by sending his very own son into the world as a baby. Christ's first advent, his first coming. We want to help you a little bit with that, to focus on the real meaning of Christmas. You know, it can get caught up. I mean, I was watching some of the videos on the fights, Black Friday. People wanting that special present, and they'll fight you for it. You know, I mean, the commercialism. That comes into Christmas. Uh, Kevin, I know mentioned this, Kevin Knight, but we've got some Advent devotion, family devotions. There's not a whole lot of them. We, we've got some limited copies, but please take one per family if you would do that. There's 25 devotions in here leading right up to Christmas. I want to encourage you to take that. Boy, that'll help you keep in focus, right? The real meaning of Christmas, of Jesus coming uh, to be our Savior. Take those with you. Would you uh, stand with me as we turn to Isaiah 9? Verses 1 through 7. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod for his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, read it with me, 
will do this. Let's pray together. God, we ask that even so, Jesus, come. Come soon, Lord. That is our hope. God, we pray as we look at this passage this morning from the book of Isaiah, from the prophet Isaiah, that we will be encouraged. God, that we will not forget that Jesus has come as a little baby. But God, there's going to be a day when he'll not come as a little baby. And God, we look forward to that. God, let us be encouraged to know that it will happen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want you to try and imagine what it would have been like to live before the events of Christmas. Now, that's never happened for us before. We've always lived looking back and and knowing that Jesus came in his first advent. Those that studied the law and the prophets would have understood that a Messiah had been promised but still had not yet come. We see that this Messiah is talked about as far back as the original man, Adam, shortly after his original sin. Genesis 3.15 is known as the Proto-Evangelium. That's a big word for the first announcement of the gospel. God says to the serpent, the devil, in that verse, I will put enmity between you and the woman, And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. While Satan could only bruise the heel of Jesus Christ and cause him pain and suffering, Christ will one day bring the fatal blow to to Satan's head. Amen? Amen? Here are some other prophetic passages that the people in those days long before Christ would have heard and known. I've written them for you, but let me read those to you. There's Numbers 24, 17. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Isaiah 11:1. 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up For David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. And then Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old. From ancient of days. We could go on with prophecies. Why was it so important that these prophecies by these Old Testament prophets be made? Well, there's some obvious reasons they didn't have the completed Word of God like we do. It wasn't really accessible to them, right? Even the stuff they had. The, Holy, the ministry of the Holy Spirit had not been enacted yet. But here are some specifics. Number one, you can write these in your notes. So the people would know the immediate will of God and follow him. Number two, so the people would have faith in God and trust him for their future. And number three, so the people would recognize the powerful hand of God and give him glory. Those were all reasons that these prophecies 
were being made. So many times God would give a word to the prophet and it would deal with immediate issues right there in immediate need, but it would also have a meaning for the future. Maybe that prophet's future, but maybe even future way down the line that might even affect us. This is true of Isaiah 9. Now I want to go back and give you a short history of what was going on when Isaiah wrote this. You can go back if you want and read the first eight chapters, but let me just give you kind of the Cliff Notes version so you can kind of know the setting and the background here. First of all, Judah was under the rule of two good kings in a row. That was rare for Judah to have that. There was King Uzziah. Now, you may recognize that name from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6 when it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Remember that? I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up. And we have the account from Isaiah of him being in the very throne room of God. Do you remember that? And then we have his son after him. They kind of ruled together a little while. King Jotham. But the people, like so many times before, became complacent under a good king. So Ahaz, the son of Jotham, became king, and he did evil in God's sight. When you go back and research King Ahaz, you'll see that he, see that he brought idolatry back into the land. He even sacrificed one of his very own sons on a burnt, as a burnt offering. The guy was awful, was terrible. So Pekah, king of Israel, and Rezin, king of Syria, decided to make war against Ahaz, and Ahaz was terrified. So God sends Isaiah to Ahaz with a message. He says, don't be afraid of them. They will not defeat you. God tells them that Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, a country further to the east, would defeat them. God tells him uh, uh, would defeat Israel and Syria. That's the good news. The bad news is that Assyria would also eventually defeat Judah. In that day, Assyria would be, was becoming a powerful nation. The Assyrian army was a ruthless military machine. They were the first to make extensive use of iron weaponry that was superior to the bronze weapons. And they could also mass produce that weaponry, and outfit a very large army very quickly. They would brutally kill some of the prisoners that they would capture to make them examples to their enemies. They would document these executions and publish all of the gory details uh, to strike fear in those that would oppose them. I'll spare you the details, but it's bad, the things that they would do to their enemies. Isaiah chapter 9 was written against the backdrop of these difficult days. But the prophet is given hope when he realizes that what is being said about the future and not how it relates to his current day. These were things that were going to happen, and it gave Isaiah hope. Look back at verse 1. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. It says here, uh, 
the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, when you go and look at the physical map, these would have been in the northeast corner of Galilee. That is where Assyria, when you look back in history, ends up attacking them first. That's what he's talking about, the anguish and here of the future where Assyria was going to come in and take them over or begin to take them over. It would happen late in Isaiah's day. But then later in this verse it says, But in latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Where was Jesus from? Jesus of Galilee. Where would Jesus do most of his ministry? In the area and region of Galilee. From where would his disciples disperse and take the message of the gospel? From this area of Galilee. I want you to listen to Matthew chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 4, 12 through 16. Listen to what it says. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, that's Jesus, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of... Zebulun and Naphtali. So then what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wow. Right here. Go back to verse 2 of Isaiah 9. By the way, around 700 years before Jesus was actually in Galilee, I just throw that out there, that's when this is written. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. There it is. There is a plan for God's nation, but there is something bigger going on here. What's happening is God is putting together his plan for Jesus to come. Did you notice that not only did it say that the people walked in darkness, it says they walked in deep darkness, right? I want you to think about the time between the last Old Testament prophecy and Jesus' birth. 400 years Past between the last Old Testament prophecy and Jesus' birth. That's a long time. That's a long time. Just to help you think about how long that is, the signing of the Declaration of Independence for the United States was only 243 years ago. 400 years goes by. 400 years of silence. Wouldn't that make you wonder if God had given up on you? They would hear the stories of God moving in miraculous ways But all those in that generation had died off a long time ago. The religious leaders that they knew in their day were there for personal gain, for power. Folks, I guarantee you the people right before Jesus came were wondering, God, where are you? What's going on? So this great light, this great light, was it literally going to be a huge light? 
Or is it talking about this message of hope that would bring man out of darkness? Or is it talking about Jesus' second coming where captivity and war would come to an end? The answer is yes. All of the above. We have a literal light coming from the multitude of heavenly hosts that announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds. We sang about it this morning. That great light. There's the plan in motion for Jesus to live on earth, showing his disciples and us how to live, but also planning to die, making a way for man to be saved out of deep darkness. But we also see that God has a plan to finally set Jesus up as almighty ruler. Look back at verses 3 through 5. You have multiplied the nation You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, we know when Isaiah penned this, Judah had not been captured even by Assyria yet and eventually taken into captivity by Babylon. You remember the stories in the book of Daniel? That happens down the road. But we are already skipping ahead to their release. Conservative scholars say that this passage is fast-forwarding to, the, to when national Israel is finally at peace with all nations. That hasn't happened yet. All you got to do is watch the news, right? And it won't happen until Jesus establishes that in his second advent, his second coming. It's going to be something miraculous. It's described here like God defeating the Midianites through Gideon and his 300 men. Remember that story? Go read about it in Judges 6 and 7. Miraculous. It says it'll be something similar to that. Look again at verse 5. It says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The, the only uh, a nation's, uh, national Israel's fighting will be over. The only thing good for military gear at this time is to use it for fuel, to burn the fire. This prophecy cover, covers a much larger gamut then Isaiah's immediate woes, doesn't it? And then it happens. Look back at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Stop there. Here is the event that literally splits time. If you have somebody say to you, you know, there's no evidence of Jesus coming to the earth, tell them to look at their calendar. Tell them to look at their calendar. Because Jesus' birth split time. Our calendar is based upon Jesus' birth. And we forget about those things, don't we? The silence is over. Emmanuel is here. God is on earth with man again. Amen. Look at the rest of the verse. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, is it really a surprise that the wise men came and offered him gifts and honored him as a king? 
they'd read this, it would have flown right, right together, right? In hearing Isaiah's prophecy, is it easier to understand why Herod was threatened by Jesus and tried to have him killed as an infant? Remember that? He was worried about being a king then. But when you look at these descriptions and we understand how Jesus lived and the names of Christ, did they happen at his first coming? Maybe partially for some of them. Let's look at them. Jesus didn't rule in government. He didn't do that. In fact, he avoided the people. When he knew they were coming to try to force him to be king, he would resign himself and take himself away from the crowd. Was he a wonderful counselor? Yes. Being of two natures, he was God and man. As God, he alone had the instructions of true salvation. But as perfect man, he was able to sympathize with each one of us, right? It makes him like no other and will allow him to rule like no other. Mighty God, he performed miracles at his first coming. But this term used for mighty here is defined as battle champion or mighty warrior. I want you to hold your place right here. I'm going to turn to, I think they'll have it up on the screen, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Let me read this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses." From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Pardon my grammar, but that ain't no baby. The second trip will be a whole lot different. Everlasting Father. He will be our eternal, benevolent King. Oh, how the people longed for that in Isaiah's day as they lived under Ahaz. Folks, hopefully we'll experience that here on earth. The Prince of Peace. We see hints of this when Jesus tells Peter to put away his sword after cutting off Malchus's ear. He said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And then Jesus healed Malchus. But this is referring to the way he will rule as a divine king. No earthly king has ever been able to know the thoughts and intents of man's heart, but Jesus will. No one will be able to deceive him. No one will be able to overpower him. Look at how verse 7 describes his kingdom. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts 
might do this. He might get around to it. Folks, it says he will do this. You know, the emphasis for the first week of Advent is hope. Jonathan's already alluded to it. This is not a hope like, I hope this is going to happen. The Lord of hosts will do this. Our hope is that it happens soon. This afternoon might even be nice. At the first Advent, they look for a Messiah. We are looking for our risen King. Be reminded this Christmas that he came the first time. We know he came. Know this, he will come again. Be looking with anticipation like a bride waiting for her groom. Amen? But church, don't forget. The time is short and we still have a lot of work to do. Amen? Will you stand? Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of this passage. We look at the events of this world. We watch the news that is so many times negative, And we think, God, is Jesus ever going to come back? Lord, just come back. Take us out of this mess. God, we know and we're encouraged this morning as we read from Isaiah of old that it will happen. God, let us try to imagine. Let us try to think about that. But God, don't let us get stuck in anticipation. We have work to do. We have family members who still don't know Jesus. We have loved ones and friends who still don't know Jesus. God, help us. Give us opportunities to share the gospel. Because God, I'm afraid for them, the time is short. God, we burden that way. One breath we say, even so come, Lord Jesus. But in the next breath, God, save those who don't know. God, help us this Christmas. Help us remember and be encouraged. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonathan's going to come and lead us in a moment. What's he asking you to do? We'll leave the front open. If you'd like to come forward and pray, we'd invite you to do that. Be challenged today to go and do God's work. But the main focus of this morning was to be encouraged that God is still on the throne and that God will return as King of kings and Lord of lords.